Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. I think just suffice it to say that the last two years have been really unpredictable and chaotic. And we've had a lot of feedback here at the world headquarters of the United Pentecostal Church from pastors and ministry leaders saying that these have been the the last couple of years have been the most difficult years of their ministry. It's been hard to know what to do. So as a former pastor and the current leader of the United Pentecostal Church International, what challenges do you see that are facing the apostolic church right now? Well, let's talk about uh, challenges to me are also opportunities. There's two sides to that. So the greater the challenge, the greater the opportunity. And I would first say as a preface that we have to make sure we maintain our personal relationship with God. In challenging times, unprecedented times, times where we never know what's going to happen, we've got to maintain a bedrock of relationship with God, prayer, worship, reading of the word, study, our relationship with our local church and pastor, our relationship with our family, our spouse. We've got to make sure of the basics. But the challenges I see, uh, first of all, internally. So the UPCI is growing. The apostolic movement has reached a level of maturity. And we have to adjust with changing circumstances, changing culture, changing times, and even, I would say, be more biblical in some ways. Uh, so what do I mean by that? We have challenges of learning, I think, transitioning from what I call a pioneer mode to a team model. So let's think of 100 years ago when the Pentecostal was very small. There are very few churches scattered across the world. And so a pastor would go in, build a church from scratch, and he would be a strong visionary, a strong leader. People were converted under his leadership. He was their father in the gospel. Um, people were working class, poor. It took 100% of the ties just to support the pastor. And even that wasn't enough. The pastor would have to work or minister externally. And the pastor probably, if he went to Bible college, was the most educated person in the church. If he traveled evangelizing or if he traveled to general conference. He was the best traveled person in the church, maybe. And so, and, and also 50 years ago and more, there was a lot more respect for authority in our whole society. Sure. We respected doctors and lawyers and pastors and teachers. Well, today it's almost as if you have a position, you're disrespected all, even more. Yeah, yeah. So the point is, I'm suggesting that today in many of our churches, we have lots of educated people, professional people, uh, upper middle class, people who are managers on their job. And so that simple pioneer leadership, one man makes the decisions for a small little group, is not the case now. So I think we need to transition. Unfortunately, the Bible does give us plenty of resources that we need to transition to more of a team leadership within the local church. 
and likewise in our fellowship. When it comes to planting new churches and working together, we need to transition more to a team model of helping to start churches. So, And then uh, planning for a succession. So when one pastor is uh, nearing retirement age, and of course, as pastors, we don't like to think of ever retiring. And as far as ministry, perhaps we, we shouldn't. But there comes a time where we don't need to be tied down to a daily schedule and a daily income in order to survive. We need to plan for a time where we have the liberty, the flexibility uh, to minister as we want without uh, having to minister in order to support our family and survive. And so what happens is a lot of pastors, either they never want to think of stepping out of that role or they haven't planned for retirement so they can't afford to survive that role and they keep ministering until age or death or um, uh, other circumstances, health, make them less effective or unable. And then sometimes they need to find someone who will help them with retirement so they will choose uh, their family member. Uh, and maybe they want to support their family member. And sometimes a family member could be the best choice, but sometimes um, I think it has to be very important that they're in the will of God and the people have a, a real say and the person is truly qualified, the best qualified. So my what I'm pointing out is our churches mature and grow larger and stronger and older. We need to think more about succession planning, about a team leadership, and about working together as organizations. That's an internal challenge. So it's a cultural shift. And one of I think one of the important things I have to do as general superintendent is help us continue in growth mode of church planting um, and increasing the number of ministers and churches, but also being more effective in protecting and transitioning churches. So that's a big challenge that we see as a more mature organization. And my book, uh, Spiritual Leadership in the 21st Century, is designed to address that. Also, another book, The Apostolic Church in the 21st Century. That's internal. The big external challenge is, of course, our increasingly secular culture. We're now living in a culture that's post-Christian, that's post-modern, which means people don't believe in absolute truth, and they don't believe in moral absolutes. They believe in relativism. And so how do you minister effectively in a culture that no longer supports Christian values? And while as an American citizen, I'm really saddened to see our country drift away from its biblical and moral roots, I also see this as an opportunity. Because in a pagan culture, we have an advantage. We have the word and the spirit. And I planted a church in Austin, which is a very secular city. Only 10% of the population claimed to be evangelical Christians, whereas 5% of the population claimed to identify with the LGBTQ community. And so in our city, we, we faced this years ago, that people don't believe in the Bible. Well, if you're, if you're a fundamentalist that just focuses on the Bible, then you're kind of uh, stuck because people don't care about the Bible. But as Pentecostals, we have the word and the spirit. So we must emphasize both. If people are, are familiar with the word or believe in the word, certainly we teach them a Bible study, shows them how to be saved. But what if they 
don't even know about the Bible or accept the Bible as authority. Well, we're not at a loss. We can still invite them in a place where they feel God's presence, which can touch their heart. We can pray for them to be healed or have a miracle. And then we can say, the reason why we know these things are true, we find them in the Bible. We can lead them back to the Bible. But we have a dual approach of the Word and the Spirit. And I think in this way, we are more like the apostolic church because in the first century, the apostolic church started in the Jewish culture, which is a Bible-based culture. But it rapidly exploded in the Roman Empire in a very pagan secular culture where there was gross sexual immorality of all kinds. Uh, idolatry was the norm, not only abortion, but infanticide. And yet the church thrived in that pagan culture because of the power of God. So the big challenge I see is we're facing a secular culture that denies foundational truths. But I think as Pentecostals, if we, if we will emphasize the preaching and teaching of the word, but ministry in the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders and gifts of the Spirit, then we're well equipped to reach people of every background. And in that regard, I would further say we have to think of ourselves as missionaries to our culture. So let's say that we were appointed as a missionary to China or India. Well, we would know up front that when we go there, we're going to have to learn their language or get a translator. We're going to know that when we have a, a church uh, social event, we're going to have Chinese food or Indian food. Uh, when, when we talk about dress, of course, we're going to have biblical teachings of modesty and gender distinction, but we're not going to expect them to dress like an American businessman or, you know, a, or what's maybe traditional in conservative American churches. We're going to, it's going to be whatever style of dress is appropriate in their culture. They have different types of clothing. They have different colors, different ways of dressing, and it might depend on the economy. So my point is, if you're a missionary and, and the songs you sing, it's going to be their style of music, which may be very foreign to our ears. But if you try to use American forms, it may not relate to them. So my point is, we know when we go as a missionary, we're going to adapt, conform. We're going to use their cultural forms to minister the gospel. And if there's something in their culture that's contrary to God's word, obviously we're going to teach them God's word because God's word, God's word trumps any culture. Okay, we need to do that in North America, U.S. and Canada. So I grew up loving certain songs. And by the way, we typically love the music that was prevalent when we got in the church or when we were a teenager. It speaks to the heart. It's just like our language. Our, the language we learn in childhood, the mother tongue, that always resonates. And so the beautiful words in our native language affect us the most. The curse words in our native language make us angry the most. You hear a curse word in another language, even if it's translated, it doesn't have the same emotional impact because it's not your language. So my point is we can do that as Pentecostals. The kind of preaching, the kind of music, the kind of ways of doing church, the kind of worship styles in, in our culture when we got in church or when we grew up in church, that is the most meaningful. But the challenge is I'm 64 years old. So what I like the most, sadly, doesn't relate to the average 15-year-old. Now, I don't think we should throw out everything I like. Some churches do that. 
I think there should be a mixture to minister to multi-generational converts as well as first-generational, to senior citizens as well as teenagers. But the fact is, we do have to constantly adjust our methods, our music, our preaching style, our worship style. And by the way, if you think there is only one style, you're wrong. If you travel across the world in United Pentecostal churches, there's incredible worship. There's incredible preaching. But it's very different in different places and different cultures. There's not just one right way to do church. There's not just one right style of music. There's not one right style of preaching. There's not one right method to structure a church or to have revival. So what I'm saying is we have to think of ourselves as missionaries in our own culture. So it's not what do I like, what blesses me. It has to be what's effective in my culture. What's effective in reaching the next generation? What's effective in reaching people who weren't raised Pentecostal or even people who weren't raised Christian? And as I said, I don't think we have to throw out everything that has been successful, but I do think we have to adjust. And I do think in an increasingly multicultural society and increasingly diverse society, we can't just ignore the changes that are happening all around us. We have to adjust not our message, not our life of holiness, but how we preach, teach, disciple. We have to take into account all the changes. So it's a great challenge, but I would like to emphasize it's a great opportunity because in a world uh, where people uh, don't believe in absolutes, well, they can define sin away and say it's not sin. But when they practice sin, it still has consequences. So if the secular culture says sin is no longer sin, that means they don't have a solution for the problems when they take place. But we as the church can say, you know what? We have the diagnosis and we have the cure. And I believe as liberal churches are already in great decline because they accommodated to the culture and so become irrelevant. Conservative Bible-believing churches have survived much longer, but if they don't have the Spirit, they too are becoming irrelevant because they can preach the right message of what the Bible says, but they don't have the power to enable people to change. And so we as Pentecostals have the unique opportunity to minister effectively in our culture. So while there's a great challenge, I believe there's a great opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share apostolic life in the 21st century with a friend or family member. Finally, join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.